Welcome, everybody, to Blissfully Aware, the show in which three opinionated people discuss what's going on in fandom and nerd news in general. I am Bliss, and as always, I'm joined by my two lovely co-hosts. Welcome back, Kelty and Kendra. How was your trip? Hi. It was very nice. Yes. Because then it was the cabin, and then it was the sad times. And a birthday. And then it was my birthday. <laughs> so yes, the cabin was great. The yes. cabin was great. Sad times were The great. sad anniversary was not great. My birthday uh, was nice. Yeah. You guys missed out on a, uh, there was a mini conspiracy that you guys were no longer on the show. Yes. Oh. Yeah. That's flattering. That we were. <laughs> that we. <laughs> I guess that I, someone cares enough about me to concoct a conspiracy yeah there was a conspiracy that we were no longer all friends yeah that's stupid <laughs> i'm sorry that's <laughs> that's fucking dumb whoever you are <laughs> we weren't friends anymore because we were busy for three weeks in a row oops well i'm glad we're all friends again <laughs> yeah that was such a long, hard time getting back to being friends. So much work and effort. I'm sorry, I can't even play along with the stupid joke because... Because <laughs> it's stupid? That's, yeah. Well, and speaking of no longer being friends, that's actually a really good segue into the first topic you wanted to talk about today, Kendra. So if, like, you're on... I don't even know what to call this. Creative Twitter, I say, hating myself. Ugh. So, like, the American publishing industry just conducts its business on Twitter now. It has for, like, five or six years. Mm. Like, the only way you pitch or query a book anymore is through <laughs> Twitter. So this story got a lot of traction, because if you were anywhere on writer Twitter slash creative Twitter slash editor publishing Twitter, I don't know. And if you were adjacent to any of those spaces... You heard about this New York Times article called Bad Art Friend. Yeah. We all heard about Bad Art Friend and the discourse it spawned, yes? I did! I had heard so little of it, though, because I just, I don't know, I guess I'm lucky. Mm. I had heard so little that that was only, like, the vaguest of tweets, and then I had to ask Oh, it was you. so funny, because I had just finished reading the article, and then Kelty looked over at me and was like... What's bad art friends? <laughs> and I was like, well, have I got a tale for you? For the record, I haven't actually read the article. I've only heard through the grapevine the bad art friend story. So I'm excited to learn. It's very similar to what happened to the writer and subject of the short story Cat Person. Mm -hmm. Do we remember Cat Person? I do, but for the listeners, give me a quick recap. So, uh, Cat Person basically debuted, for lack of a better word, at, a, at the perfect time. It was a short story by author Kristen Rupenian. Uh, it got published in The New Yorker in uh, December 2017. And it went viral because what was happening in 2017, it was me too. And uh. the subject matter of Cat Person is basically a relationship that 
like, is either, like, borderline abusive or at least examines a power imbalance between the two people within it. And it is about a young, or not, like, a college student, like, dating someone much older than her. And basically how gross the man she's dating is, is, like, the, mm-hmm. the plot. <laughs> it's actually mostly a sex scene. Um, mm. Not a hot one, though. Uh, to, sorry to disappoint you, Kelty. But it went viral. Like, nobody outside of publishing reads short stories. Like, publishing and, like, College English students. English AP <laughs> literature students. And all the short stories they read are, like, 80 years old, at least. It's all, like, Gift of the Badgeye and stuff. Yellow wallpaper. Yeah. So, the fact that this short story went viral was quite a phenomenon. So, uh, fast forward to earlier this year when the person who the relationship in Cat Person is based off of wrote an article talking about what it was like for her mm-hmm. because the, well, the person who it is based on is named Alexis Nowicki and basically she had a relationship with like an older man. I don't remember the exact details of it. Uh, and, like, through a friend of a friend, the author of the short story, Christian Rupenian, knew about it. Like, through an extended social circle. And basically invented a story about how creepy she thought this other girl's relationship was. <laughs> and so she wrote a start, or she wrote an essay about this phenomenon because Cat Person was everywhere. And basically emailed the author and got confirmation that, like, it is partly based on her encounter with this relationship. And she was rather disappointed or, like, hurt in a weird way because she'd never felt like this relationship was toxic or abusive or any way or had a weird power imbalance or anything. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that happened earlier this year. Uh, so we had a similar, we had a similar happen. <laughs> similar but different. So in the story of Bad Art Friend, there are two main characters. There is Don Dorland and Sonia Larson. So uh, Don is, I'm just going to read the first, the first sentence of the article. There is a sunny earnestness to Don Dorland, an unself-conscious openness that endears her to some people and that others have found to be a little extra. Oh. <laughs> yeah. She's a lot, I guess we could say, in a, in a word. <laughs> she has completed an MFA in creative writing. So she is like, basically, she is part of like writing groups, specifically writing groups in Boston. And... There are events that aren't, like, they're not even, like, specified in the article. But basically, there is some trauma in her early life that she even believes has made her into a very compassionate and empathetic person. And she wants to do what she can to help people, it would seem. This is the gist I got from the article and from her interviews in the article. So in 2015, she decides to do a non-directed kidney donation. Now, what this is, is that you can just decide to donate your kidney without a prior don- donee mm-hmm. in mind, <laughs> recipient in mind. I was just going to say. Um, and basically, your kidney will just go to whoever is at the top of the list and, like, matches mm-hmm. your blood type because you can donate a kidney. 
while still alive. And she decided that this was just a way that she was going to help out someone in the world somehow. <laughs> this is what she wanted to do. Um, and it's a big undertaking. Like, it's major surgery. They are amputating an organ from inside your body, and things can go wrong, and it's... Yes. So, um, she had basically, like, a private Facebook group that she invited some friends and family to participate in, where she was just going to post about this undertaking. Like, her thoughts and feelings about donating this kidney, why she wanted to do it. Basically, it seems to, like, document it, like, for herself. Uh Like, Mm -hmm. she's a writer, and she likes to write things down, it seems. And she has a lot of feelings. She has a lot (laughs) of emotions that she wants to share. And this is where the story starts. Because one of the people that was in this private Facebook group was Sonia Larson. And Sonia Larson is a writer who were part of the... Uh, so there is, there is this writing center slash group slash circles called Grub Street in Boston. Okay. And sounds like Dawn had gone there before, and so had Larson, and that was how their paths intersected on social media. They had gone to similar events, they had been in workshops together, things like that. Mm-hmm. So... Fast forward, Sonia writes a short story, mm-hmm. basically a year later, about someone donating a kidney. And it's immediately obvious that it is at least inspired partly by Dawn and mm-hmm. all of her all of her pontificating in the uh the Facebook group that Sonia was a part of. So Dawn emails her a little passive aggressively, I guess, <laughs> and is like is this about me? And Larson is immediately defensive. Like, Sonia Larson is immediately like, like, obviously there are similarities, but it is, it is inaccurate to say that this was in any way inspired by your, your kidney donation, blah, blah, blah. Like, quote, uh, she was working on a story quote, quote, about a woman who receives a kidney partially inspired by how my imagination took off after learning about your own tremendous donation. I hope it doesn't feel too weird for your gift to have inspired works of art. Oh, okay. So, uh, Dawn writes back instantly, being like, I'm surprised, especially because we're friends and you didn't mention it. Larson immediately replies again, like, it's not about you specifically, it's about the narrative possibilities, and rather I was just inspired by the idea, blah blah blah. And so Don's like, well, that's weird, like, I thought we were friends and you didn't mention it. Basically, Don thought that they were better friends than they were, mm-hmm. is what it boils down to. Mm-hmm. Which is fine, like, you know, that happens. Mm, yeah. I can get that it would be, like, you know, that's, that's sad to learn that you had misjudged a relationship, but... That happens. And, like, she doesn't have the story because it's, like, still in the process of being written at this point. So she's just like, how much of it is about me? How much of it is fictional? Like, what sort of conclusions are you drawing from my, my basically journal that I kept <laughs> on this private Facebook group, it, it seems? Because, um, you know, that was a personal, vulnerable experience, blah, blah, blah. So basically, <laughs> uh, she starts like subtweeting Sonia oh uh, on Facebook because that's where sub Facebooking. That's where old 
Gen Xers do their their subtweeting. Yeah, being like, I discovered that a writer friend has based a short story on something momentous I did in my life without telling me or ever intending to tell me. Another writer tipped me off. Oh no. So stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Immediately cringe. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Uh, Sonia is still like like trying to ghost her. Like, I don't want to talk about it. Like, you are not entitled to read my story. So on and so forth. <laughs> By the, like, end of summer 2016, the short story is available. And there's something I didn't mention at first. Uh, Don Dorland, being this slightly extra, super empathic feelings person that she is, um, signs off her emails kindest. Like, kindest, comma, Don. Oh, kind of like how I sign off truly. Yes. Yeah. Okay, feel ya. That is that is how that is like a little trademark of hers. Short story comes out. It is titled "The Kindest." Oh, <laughs> oh. Which, in itself, is not a thing. It's just kind of trolly on Sonia's part. Bit, yeah. And what happens in uh, the short story is that basically the recipient of the kidney is. A Asian woman who is an alcoholic and like a bit of a disaster. And the donor is basically like an insufferable white savior <laughs> type person who thinks that, like, isn't it amazing how she's so selfless to donate a kidney to some poor alcoholic wretch who needs mm-hmm. a second chance at life? Blah, 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 blah. And. Yeah, like I didn't read the short story and I'm not going to. <laughs> I don't I don't care. It doesn't sound good, but no. that that is like the gist is that basically the main character is the recipient and the villain air quotes if it can be said to have one is this is the donor and her like white savior issue. <laughs> issue. Mhm. So Don Dorland like Basically realizing she misjudged this relationship. Uh, doesn't read it. Like, is like, I don't need to know, blah, blah, blah. So, so far, nothing illegal has happened. Right. This is just kind of mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is just someone, like, taking someone's very personal choice and deciding that you're an insufferable douche and... <laughs> Your kidney donation was performative white savior nonsense, even though, coincidentally, in real life, the recipient of the kidney is just a, is an Orthodox Jewish man and is, is not an Asian American alcoholic. Um, so just that part is invented entirely. So in the story, the donor writes to the recipient asking to meet her. And this letter is basically verbatim. A letter that Dawn Dorland wrote on her Facebook page. Because she too wrote to her actual recipients wanting to meet them. And now it's just plagiarism. Mm. <laughs> now mm-hmm. now yeah. there, there has been a plagiarism. Um, actually... It's worse because the printed version of the story that came out in, like, 2018 or 2017 is very similar to her letter, 
but there are some things that have been changed. And she's like, this is plagiarism at this point. <laughs> Little did she know that a earlier version had been published on Audible uh, or Amazon. Is Amazon Audible? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Published on Audible. That is essentially verbatim the letter that she shared on Facebook. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, let me... Uh, okay. So I'm just going to read it. Dorlin's true actual letter reads as follows. Personally, my childhood was marked by trauma and abuse. I didn't have the opportunity to form secure attachments with my family of origin. A positive outcome of my early life is empathy, that it opened a well of possibility between me and strangers. While perhaps many more people would be motivated to donate an organ to a friend or family member in need, to me, the suffering of strangers is just as real. The version that is in the earlier Audible edition of uh, Sonia Larson's short story reads as follows. My own childhood was marked by trauma and abuse. I wasn't given the opportunity to f form secure attachments with my family of origin, but in adulthood, that experience provided a strong sense of empathy. While others might desire to give to a family member or a friend, to me, the suffering of strangers is just as real. Hmm. So there we go. We got, we have those four Very little difference. We have those four sentences... And two of them are verbatim. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, Sonia is trying to get this short story, like, into some, like, writing festivals and stuff. Dawn is calling those festivals being like, your the short story is plagiarized, or at least partly plagiarized. Sonia gets kicked out of some of these festivals. Dawn is preparing to sue. Sonia beats her to the courthouse and sues for defamation first. Oh. So basically saying that because I got kicked out of these festivals, you have caused damages, but now there's a countersuit, I believe, claiming that at least part of this short story is plagiarized, um, which it seems that it absolutely was. Yeah, right? Because the thing for me, the thing for me is like, there are claims, basically, uh, like, because both of these authors are interviewed in the in the article. And Sonia claims like, oh, it was placeholder text, like from a very early edition. I knew I wanted to write something in this letter. And this was just the vibe I wanted. And I had that in like very early drafts. But then it was published. But the problem is, is that it was sold for money at one point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was published on Amazon, on Audible, and was sold for money. So that is no longer a rough draft. That is something that's been published. Also, it gets worse. Oh. Yeah. All of this comes out in Discovery and lawsuits and stuff. After Dawn contacts Sonia the first time, having heard through their social group that Sonia is writing a short story about kidney donation, Sonia changes how the letter in her short story ends and changes it to kindly. Like... Uh, uh. Basically to troll Dawn. Yeah. Being like, how dare you ask me if this short story was inspired by your kidney donation? Fuck you, bitch. <laughs> like, wow. That's so petty. That is petty. And at this point, like, Dawn, to my knowledge at least, has not been like, you've plagiarized from me. Has just been like, hey, did you write a short story about a kidney donation like I just had? Like... I don't know. In fairness, it seems like Dawn is intense, and it seems like Dawn thinks that people owe her things that other people don't mm -hmm. agree 
to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever. <sighs> but it gets worse uh, because... It comes out in Discovery, since everything is in lawsuits now, everything is in court, Sonia Larson's, like, texts and group chats and Facebook messages have been subpoenaed. Uh-oh. And basically, her and a bunch of writers from this Grubhub writing workshop were all in a group chat mercilessly dunking on Don Dorland for years. Oh, basically. no! Basically. Just over and over being like, oh, so cringy. Oh, what a bitch. Oh, she thinks she owns the rights to kidney donation or something. And, like, <laughs> oh, no. it's, all, it's all true, basically. Don yeah. was like, are they all making fun of me? Like, am I being trolled? And yes. Like, yes, she was being trolled. God, that's my worst nightmare. Um, yeah. Like, a bunch of authors in their 30s and 40s just absolutely mean girlsing just this one this one writer because she donated an organ to a stranger like this woman must be so much for them to do that like not to defend their behavior but she must be so much no 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 See, that's the thing. Okay, so this is the thing. Is like when this when this story hit, people were fucking divided. Mm-hmm. And they still are. But that's why that's why it was like around for several days, because some people are absolutely team Dawn, and then some people are absolutely team Sonya. Right. Like like Dawn Dorland doesn't own the rights to the concept of donating a kidney, like she Sonya didn't owe her anything, blah blah blah. I mean And I'm like, that's not quite what happened though. Like yeah. she was plagiarized from from her like private Facebook group. Yeah. That Sonia had to join. Like Sonia could not have accidentally seen this. Like she had to accept the the offer, I guess, to be in a private Facebook group and then continually read the updates, I guess, because she was a lol cow. For the writers of this fucking Grubhub Street or Grub Street or whatever the fuck it is, so that they could laugh at her exploits. <laughs> yeah, like I would be fully on uh, Sonya's yeah. side. Yeah. Like I think she was a bitch, but you know that they're, they're probably she, both. It's bitches. not illegal to be a bitch. It's not know? illegal to be a bitch. <laughs> it turns out that all of Dawn's intuitions were absolutely correct, but the like, fact that she like. They plagiarized her writing from her private Facebook group and is like, you don't own this. And it's like, but I do. <laughs> she literally does. I so, published it myself on But here's Facebook. the thing. Here's the thing. Are you ready? Are you ready for Sonia's legal defense? Oh, God. Okay. Because at, at, at this point, it is inarguable, I would say, that, that she has copied the words of Dawn and published them in mm-hmm. her short story. At least in this earliest audible version. Mm-hmm. The letter has since been changed in subsequent versions. She is claiming that her usage of Dawn's words in her short story is transformative. Oh. The same legal concept that makes fan fiction legal. So she's writing RPF is her legal defense? Yeah. Basically. basically. She's writing real person fiction? She, well, not like for the whole of the story, because the whole of the story isn't plagiarism. Just for that letter, mm-hmm. she is claiming that her usage of those words is transformative in her short story, because they were not they were not literature in Dawn's original Facebook post. And now they are. No. Um, uh-uh. Hmm. No. Because, okay, you remember when we had to put little disclaimers 
on fanfiction so that we wouldn't get sued like before AO3 before back in the dark days yeah it just it kind of like the least you could have done is just talk to your friend and be like hey actually this whole thing kind of gives me an idea for a short story do you think i can use some of your stuff as inspiration like at the very least trying to play that off feels kind of vindictive I mean, this is the same person, though, that's been in a group that has been dunking on this woman well, for no, I, how I, long? I know. I'm just saying that, like... She's very vindictive, I think. Well, that's uh, obvious. Obvious, obviously she is. I'm talking about, like, to, to, call, to call it that and to say that it's transformative. I feel like that's not going to pass... So yeah, they're arguing that it's transformative uh, and could never be mistaken for the original. To qualify for transformative use, as discussed previously in like AO3 uh, episodes, they basically have to argue that the letter and the phrasing in the letter has different inherent meaning. Like it has to be either a commentary or a satire or a parody. It it can't just be verbatim. Like you can't just post the Harry Potter books on AO3 <laughs> and call it transformational. Yeah. Change yeah. it to Harriet yeah. and then be like... Then it, no, then it's transformational. Oh, well, then that's true. Then you, you can argue that it is transformational. But, like, that's not really what happened when she just took the whole... Uh, or not the whole letter, but a substantial part of the letter uh, and changed it verbatim. Literally half. Yeah, I... Uh... I think that would really boil down then to the judge and their bias. And before anybody says anything, all judges have bias. Like, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah. This, I think, is the most damning uh, thing uh, against Sonia. Is this text exchange. In January 2016, she texts two of her friends, quote, I think I'm done all caps, with the kidney story, but I feel nervous about sending it out because it literally has sentences that I verbatim grabbed from Dawn's letter on Facebook. <laughs> oh my god. Th- there's more? Oh no. Uh, I've tried to change it, but I can't seem to. The letter was just too damn good. I'm not sure what to do. Feeling morally compromised slash like a good artist, but a shitty person. Oh my god. God. Oh my god. So there you have just admitted that the exact verbiage that Dawn oh, uses the fucking that's not good art was was not something you could improve upon. <laughs> like for different reasons, obviously. Like you think it illustrates what a massive tool she is, but you as an author could not even come up with verbiage more dickish than that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that I think is, that is just Sonia plainly admitting that <laughs> she plagiarized this letter because it was too good. That's what she wrote. Like feeling like a good artist. Yeah. How are you feeling like a good artist? How does that make you feel like a good artist that you can't think of anything better than what your friend wrote? I mean, (laughs) Sonya thinks they're not friends. Sonya was just fully just watching a car crash as far as she was concerned. Not important. How can you feel like the good artist if you feel like you couldn't improve upon what somebody else wrote? And so you just put it word for word in your story. That's a good question. That is not what a good artist is. If anything, that shows that the good artist 
question mark is dawn uh yeah so yeah later in the summer after like dawn emails sonia about her complaints she's like updating the like group chat the whole time being like she wants something from me something that she can show to lots of people and i'm not giving it i guess an admission that it was inspired by her life i don't know then some real catty motherfucker named Jennifer DeLeon uh, replies, maybe she was too busy waving from her floating thing at the Macy's Day Parade instead of, you know, writing and stuff. Oh. Like, I don't know. I don't know who Jennifer DeLeon okay. is, but like, apparently. Her floating no, thing. No, yeah, like not a float. I don't know if that was meant to be a joke or not, yeah. but it surely didn't connect. Oh. Um, Jennifer doesn't sound like a very good writer. All of these texts are, are public record now, thanks to the subpoena. Mm-hmm. The only person... That's so The funny. only person in this whole shit show who comes out looking halfway level-headed is Celeste Wynn, who is an author, I know, like, semi-famous, um, wrote Little Fires Everywhere. It's, like, I'm pretty sure her debut novel. This is the only, the only sensible thing that anyone says in this whole article is, quote, It's totally okay for Dawn to be upset, Celeste Nguyen wrote. It doesn't mean that Sonia did anything wrong or that she is responsible for fixing Dawn's hurt feelings. I do think that Sonia did something wrong. Um, I don't know if Celeste is aware of the extent of the plagiarism that happened. Mm. But -hmm. yeah, so the other side of this is that people are seeing a white woman accuse an author of color of plagiarism and trying to destroy her and saying this is just what white women do i guess (laughs) and uh they they see authors of color succeeding and think that belongs to me i mean it does if it it literally is your (laughs) diary entry If they literally plagiarized you. I mean, yeah. yeah. That, not um, the whole story, but that part definitely belongs to me. Yeah. The thing about this is that it just turns out that Dawn's mm-hmm. intuition was right. Like, Dawn did not have access to, like, all these group chats and stuff until rather recently when the lawsuits went forward. She just sort of had the intuition that, like... She was being plagiarized. She was being plagiarized. Right. The thing that separates this from the cat person story, where no plagiarism took place, mm-hmm. is is the actual text that one person wrote showing up in another person's work. Were it not for the actual plagiarism that took place, whether or not it ends up being transformative in the eyes of the law, I would just think that Sonia Larson's a mean person. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't mean she's a bad writer. I haven't read any of her work ever. Um, doesn't mean she's a bad artist. Uh, it just means that she's just mean and just vindictive and kind of cruel. Uh, none of which is illegal. No. Um, but it turns out that she's also a plagiarist. <laughs> yeah, and, like, that sort of thing happens a lot. Like, like, uh, it came up, actually, on Twitter recently because Joyce Carol Oates is an insane person. Oh my god. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but back in, like, 2009... 2006, she wrote a story called Landfill. Yep, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. She wrote a story called Landfill, and it was based in New Jersey, much like a case. John A. Fioco Jr., 19? Fiocho? I I don't know if it's Italian or Fioco. But 
he he was a 19 year old college student who went missing and then they they found him in a landfill and in landfill which joyce carol Oates wrote after this case broke was about a 19 year old hector campos jr a freshman in new jersey who went missing and then was found in a yeah. landfill <laughs> And, like, there was definitely controversy around that, but it turned out that, like, they couldn't do anything about it because, you know, aside from the fact that they're both juniors in Jersey. um, And turned up dead in landfills. Who turned up dead in landfills at 19. Neither of whom are the first person to ever turn up dead in a landfill. Exactly. They don't own that. So, you know, the thing that makes this specifically where I'm, I'm more than miffed is that there was... There was actual plagiarism. She plagiarized her not friend. Her <laughs> like frenemies writing. Yeah, basically, like, she she kept, they all kept tabs on Dawn because they found her cringe. Yeah. They found her to be a lolcow and liked to just watch her as a, like, human car crash, yeah. I guess. Even though, like... And kept a burn book, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're, you're in your 30s. Have or more or like older. some of them are in their 40s i am assuming if you're over 20 and you're doing shit like this keeping keeping tabs on your friends so that you can talk about them behind your back um you should probably stop get a hobby maybe, that's <laughs> embarrassing that is maybe, embarrassing maybe speak to a therapist about why or, you're so immature for instance on august 15th 2016 a day before telling Don Dorland, quote, I value our relationship, Larson wrote in a chat with Allison Murphy, quote, Dude, I could write pages and pages more about Don, or at least about this particular narcissistic dynamic, especially as it relates to race. The woman is a gold mine. Okay. Like, so what? that just, like, how duplicitous can you be? Like, you value our relationship in as much as I can provide you, what, creative fodder? <laughs> like, you value our relationship in that I, Don Dor- Dorland, am, like, a meal ticket for you? <laughs> and, like, okay, I'm also going to just say, for the record, I'm sure Don is a lot. I have definitely been around people who are, like, too nice. Well, who are who have a martyr complex? Yes, and it seems to me that Don Dorlin has a martyr complex, and she wants you to know about it. And it's a, it can be a little aggressive. But if she's gonna donate a kidney, maybe shut up for a minute. Like that's <laughs> that's not performative. That's objectively <laughs> nice. You can't. That's not bad. She donated a kidney to a complete stranger who needed it. Let her have her moment. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that is not bullshit performative, like, yeah, charity Yeah, that's the act, man. That is not, that is not keyboard warrior shit. Yeah. Like, that's a, that's a life-changing thing. And, like, even if she has, you know, quasi-deluded narcissistic and or empathetic reasons for doing it, and so, yeah, like, this is basically still in litigation, and that's it. Like, the, that's the end, is that these two people, I don't know if either of them are any good writers, mm. but Sonia, like, to me at least, comes off worse mm-hmm. in, yeah. in this interaction because she had malicious intent right. from the start, mm-hmm. basically. Um, Ugh, goodness gracious. Mean girls grow up into mean women. <sighs> 
So that's bad art, friend. I think everyone involved in that interaction sounds like a nightmare, and I am glad to not know them. (laughs) Well, buckle up, because you're also gonna hate this next one. Or maybe you won't. Yeah, just bring me- bring me the fucking anime nonsense. Like, I'm ready. I am ready for something less pathetic. So, uh, this drama was brought to us by Twitter user Justice Cadet. Um, Do you guys- did you ever watch Digimon? Or were you guys strictly Pokemon people? Yes. I watched Digimon, like, as a eight or nine year old. I saw the English dub of the first movie, which is basically a, a incomprehensible film. Yeah. Like, the English dub is is cut up and edited so much that it is nonsensical. And that is the extent of my knowledge about Digimon. Did you only watch, like, the first two seasons, though, with the original characters? I watched a little bit of the one where it's like the next generation of kids and there's that kid Ken who is like the Kylo Ren. There's like the villain, but he's like a wounded little boy inside. <laughs> I have the vaguest memory of that, but that I just remember that his name was Ken because it's close to my name. And he was like oh. one of my first introductions to the like sad wounded villain uh, trope. Well, so, did you guys, I'm assuming then, didn't watch Digimon Tamers, which would be the third installment? Sure didn't. That no. was a whole new cast. Nope. No, whole but new that cast sounds really hot. Uh, you know. Oh. It really wasn't. Why? It's, it's not Tame. the thing you think it is. Taming Digimon and, like, fucking Digimon is, I think, what she's getting at. Oh, I was okay. thinking, like, whips and collars. Yeah. See, Kelty wants to fuck Digimon. Well, a little bit. <laughs> Who doesn't want to fuck a Pokemon or a Digimon once in a while? God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, let me give you a little bit of backstory on this. Um, Digimon Tamers. Debuted in April of 2001. And essentially the story revolves around the idea of now you're in like the real world, big air quotes, and everybody has Digimon cards mm-hmm. and little like fake Digivices. So the idea is the main character, he finds a, a blue card, which is a special card and it transforms his card reader into a like D-power Digivice, which then brings his OC, his original Digimon character, to life. This is too meta! Uh, And then he gets, like, grafted into a, like, small unit of people who also have, like, real-life Digimon, and they have to, like, save the internet. It gets really weird and meta, and that's sort of where I tapped out. That's really meta! Yeah. That's really meta for 2001. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Digimon Tamers was written by... Chinaki Konaka. And I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. that. This year, 2021, was the 20-year anniversary. So that makes me feel real old, mm-hmm. by the way, just mm. as a side. Because I was too old for Digimon Tamers, and now it's 20 <laughs> years old. Yeah. <laughs> the years keep coming, and they don't stop uh. coming. <laughs> so every year, there is a Digifest uh, in Japan. Just a big old Digimon celebration. Yeah. Yeah. And they had a special celebration this year for Digimon Tamer's 20th anniversary, right? Yeah. Makes sense. Yes. We're following. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So the big pull, the big 
celebratory thing was Konaka wrote a special audio drama that the majority of the original cast came together and did a live reading of for the convention. Oh, that's sweet. Not everybody was available, but Japan values voice actors a little differently than we do here in the West. Yes. They sure do, yeah. They're more like actual actors. Yes, and well, they're more why, like celebrities. That's why yeah. the voice acting is usually it's so much better. better. There. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They value it a little more. Kanaka writes this script, and it is... <laughs> Bad? Well, so the script features... I don't know. <laughs> well, so the script features the Tamers fighting a villainous entity called Political Correctness, which used an attack called Cancel Culture. <gasps> okay, Oscar Wilde. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> that uh, certainly became a hot topic. Man, don't be too subtle. <laughs> this is still Digimon, after all. Well, no, because here's the deal. Here's the deal. Konaka has been maintaining a personal blog in which he does a sort of retrospective on the series, right? Or it's supposed to be a retrospective on the series. But he has been, especially since COVID, really drinking the QAnon juice. <gasps> no oh, yeah and so he writes posts here i'll read you um and i'm i'm getting this from um an article off of anime news network like this was a big deal apparently oh wow yeah so from anime news network in a post from may he wrote that when writing the original digimon tamer series there were certain depictions of violence and the use of guns that he avoided due to the political climate around the 9-11 terrorist attack Later in the 2010s, he began to look into the background behind the incident. And although he thought the early conspiracy theories were, quote, unrealistic and was critical about the 9-11 truthers, he admitted to maintaining some suspicion around the circumstances in which the attack occurred. Oh, dear. He then drew a comparison to the year 2020, remarking that he saw the YouTuber James Corbett. No. Yeah. Uh, describe the situation as COVID slash 9-11, which, by the way, if anybody doesn't know, Corbett is a prominent 9-11 truther and, like, COVID conspiracy theorist. Uh, he's a Canadian living in Japan, I believe. Yes. Mm-hmm. He he was kicked off YouTube for being too wacky. Speaking the truth, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Konaka literally, in some of his blog posts, like, laments the fact that he was kicked off of YouTube because he thinks that it was, you know, the media trying to suppress the truth. It was cancel culture, mm. yeah. It was cancel culture. So you see how, you know, maybe some of Konaka's drink in the juice um, has bled into his writing of this script. Just very subtly. You wouldn't, you wouldn't uh. notice <laughs> if you didn't have all this biographical no. information. No, surely not. So the deal is, as we know, and as some of y'all might not know, uh, anime has a huge right-wing set of followers. Big old fascism problem. Mm. In, in both, like, Japanese fans and English-speaking fans. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, yeah, there, there are large sections of Japanese fans that are just, you know, very conservative. So it, it's a thing that has... Then with this specific incident, especially because it revolves around 
PC culture and uh, cancel culture become more complicated and less complicated at the same time. It turned into just a dogfight of the right-wing anime fans being like, oh, the snowflakes are mad because cancel culture and they're canceling Konaka, who's not doing anything. <laughs> he's not working on any projects, so he's not cancelable. No, um, he's just writing a weird grievance porn <laughs> yeah. audio drama. And then there were the more liberal, let's call them anime fans, who were upset feeling that Kanaka was pushing his political views on the audience and, you know, uh, tainting this anime that they loved and, you know, really inserting his beliefs into something he's written that they take issue with. Kanaka had to release a apology mm. after the audio play at the convention was subbed by fans and then released for English speakers to have access to. Mm. There was this sort of grievance side note. The people who fan subbed it tagged it with like alt-right and fascism and stuff like that I mean just sort of to like cover the bases but that didn't sit well with a lot of people homeboy is a 9-11 truther like it doesn't yeah. doesn't get more alt-righty than that it doesn't and I mean I'm sure a lot of the people who were getting upset were maybe being defensive mm. for reasons totally unrelated reasons yeah super weird mm. so the apology is in English. Mm -hmm. His blog is not. Mm. And the apology is very polished. So it's very likely that this was... Put out a statement. Either written... <laughs> yeah. yeah or it, it was either written for him or he was assisted in writing it. Or it, it was like professionally <laughs> translated. Yeah. So yeah, it starts with the content of the reading drama Digimon Tamers 2021 is entirely the responsibility of... Uh, Kanaka, and not at all Toei Animation Inc. or the Digifest Organizing Committee. So straight up, just like, this wasn't us, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is all... This is all him. him. Yeah. Uh, also, since the distribution of the show was for Japanese domestic market, and is not a show that can be legitimately viewed by people outside of Japan, I am not inherently responsible for expressing my opinions to the international community, he goes on to say. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's not wrong, but uh, no. I am allowed to still find it objectionable. <laughs> it's a long apology. I won't read the whole thing to y'all, but he talks a bit about how, you know, he is not really obligated to apologize that he wrote something that, you know, he felt was appropriate uh, he talks about how, you know, this was a big deal because it was the 20th anniversary. And he talks about how voice actors are more important in Japan than they are in the West. And, you know, it was very hard to get as many of them together for this because some of them had retired. And then he goes on and he mentions COVID a bit. And in his apology, he talks about how he had pitched a reboot for Digimon Tamers and it didn't go anywhere. So he mentions that in there. He goes on to say that, you know, coming up with a new villain or Digimon would have taken too long to explain and it was easier to just abstract this new digital enemy. 
So, you know, he claims to have reasons why it made sense. Sure, I bet you do, guy. Mm. I mean, the 9-11 truthers have reasons. <laughs> he says, in my personal opinion, COVID-19 is, of course, real. Even if SARS-CoV-2 has not been isolated and segregated in 2020. So, of course, sir, of course, COVID is real, even if the virus hasn't been isolated and no one's ever actually seen it. And do you know anyone who's got COVID-19? I didn't think so. It's real, though. God, why would you think otherwise? In 2021, the phase has changed and the vaccine supply has started. I was frustrated by the exclusion of alternative journalists from the major platforms and by the fact that the counter perspective was hidden. I think my feelings were reflected in uh, this character's strong words. However, the situation has changed between the time I wrote the scenario in early spring and August 1st, which is when the performance was. Uh, there are people who have accused me of having a particular label. I have never expressed any particular political beliefs. I mean, you have a few. There was yes. no anime that brought more diversity to the era than Digimon Tamers, which, no, that's not true, but sure. Uh, so I was sad, but don't worry. As I mentioned earlier, my plan 2020 has already been canceled. So just, he's incredibly salty that his show was not picked up. You can't cancel me, I cancel me. <laughs> he... Yeah, COVID's real, except it's not. COVID's real, except have you ever seen it? <laughs> yeah. How can you know it's real if you've never seen it with your own eyes? People have accused me of being this thing, but I've never said I have this particular political belief. So it must not be true. <laughs> yes. I just made a villain in a children's cartoon called Political Correctness <laughs> that used a superpower called cancel culture. And if you extrapolate some kind of political affiliation from that well then i that that's a you problem quite <laughs> frankly <laughs> and so here's the thing the fandom's divided obviously there is no and there never will be finding a happy medium between right-wing anime fans and left-wing anime fans there what just a, never will be what i'm sorry a crazy sentence you just <laughs> said. <laughs> that's lunacy like it's like it's the middle east like this is israel and palestine like there will never be a solution to, true. to these two divided <laughs> They just, they love anime, but they disagree about everything else. You just can't, you just can't reconcile them. <laughs> but you know it's true. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, mean, like, yeah. I have noticed something recently where nerds and people who like dweeby stuff, myself included, mm -hmm. uh, like anime or musicals or comic books or just stuff that is inherently a little more special interest, let's say are defensive about the thing they like because it's very meaningful to them while largely being derided by, I don't know, common culture, let's say. Uh -huh. And, like, <laughs> I have noticed in the past few years a, like, fandomization of politics. Ah. Oh my god. Does that... Does that strike true with anyone else? Where, like, people basically are defensive of their political beliefs in the same way that they stan an actor or a character or something. Like, not For because sure. they have true ethical convictions, but because it's a team they can root for against the other team. Uh-huh. And I have noticed that 
especially among like dweeby circles as like I think in 2016 a lot of people got political for the first time like whether it was teenagers or people in their 30s or people in their 40s and not everyone has a super articulate rhetorical framework for that so they just kind of paste it over something they do know like team sports or fandom and I see that especially among people with dweeby interests who are defensive of their dweeby interests, even and when you know that, like, they're wrong, or that some criticism of them is valid. <laughs> mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. So to get back on track, um, you're never going to get these two camps to agree. Mm-hmm. And I get that. And you can feel whatever way you want about the play. Do I think it was appropriate for him to insert his own political beliefs into his own writing? I mean... I I think it's impossible (laughs) to divorce your own political beliefs from your own writing. I'll say this. I think it was inappropriate for him to do it in such a fucking tacky... (laughs) Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Like... I I think the execution was bad. And I think the choice to do it in children's media even if it was technically the 20th anniversary so it's it's mostly adults that would be watching this Mm -hmm. is still inappropriate but i don't think we can police this comes down to a censorship thing for me i don't think we can police whether or not he was allowed to write it no i i think you can police whether or not it was appropriate to show if he wants to write some weird crybaby about cancel culture in a digimon audio drama go ahead like i do think that it's it's bad writing (laughs) i think that that was um that sounds like a joke south park would reject yeah (laughs) Yeah. it's not good um i've only watched a tiny snippet of it because i had to see just that one bit um i i don't think in the way that like you have the extreme right it, this feels so stupid talking about you have extreme right-wingers in the anime community and they're very mad that people are mad about this. And then you have extreme left-wingers that are just furious that he even wrote this. And I'm not a centrist. I'm not politically. Um, but I, I don't think it's fair to say that he's not allowed to write it. I, I think Toei Animation should have maybe read it before they (laughs) had them read it on stage. (laughs) That's a little, uh, yeah, maybe we should have proofread this. Um, Even if you're going to keep in all of the weird alt-right stuff, have him change the fucking name of the villain to something else. Yeah. Yeah. So that is the Digimon drama. (laughs) That's stupid. I I mean... That sounds like a parody. That sounds like a parody of yeah. of itself. Well, and yeah, it, it's super weird. And I mean, not for nothing. Digimon Tamers, my history with Digimon is I watched the first series, the original. I watched the second one where it's uh, the one you were talking about, Kendra, with like a proto Kylo Ren. Yes. Um, and then I tried to watch Digimon Tamers and went, Oh, that's too much, man. Tapped out. (laughs) And then my sister got old enough to start watching Digimon. She started watching Digimon Tamers, I guess, I think. But then she started watching the series after that, where, like, spoiler, uh, there's these twins involved, and one of them is in a coma. 
I watched that one. That one was pretty okay. Kelty, you might like it, actually. It's pretty, it's got some angsty bits. We should watch it together. I'm into angsty When I come trends. up finally. I don't want to watch yeah. Digimon. I'm 30. I don't want to. You can't make me. <laughs> I'm older than Jesus. I get to make the rules. You're not. He died within 33. You and I are within the age range. We gotta make it to the end. Okay, well, we'll watch it next year. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus didn't get to watch it. (laughs) Oh, I hate that. So, yeah, uh, Digimon Tamers is really one of the only Digimon that I didn't watch, which I find funny, uh, because this is just a whole thing. Um, yeah, it's a nice normal, normal, normal drama for you this week. I mean, that's out, that's out there. That's <laughs> it's, it's as I normal am, as we get on this podcast. I right? am, uh, I am most offended by the bad writing. But so yeah, I, did we talk about the thing? Yeah, I guess. I think we talked about the thing. It was a stupid one. It was really stupid. It was fun, though. Stupid and fun. Bunch of professional writers acting like absolute ass clowns and getting paid for it. Yeah. Yeah. There was a theme. There was. (laughs) I pulled that theme also directly from my ass. So. (laughs) Um, well, okay then. You guys have a happy? We do, sort of. Kelty has a happy. We went and saw Venom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we went and saw Venom to Let There Be Carnage. Do you like it? I lo- Rise of Carnage? Let, let, there, be let there Be Carnage. Rise it was terrible. Car- it's bad. It like, was so terrible. But the thing is... It's very bad. Carnage is so hot. <laughs> so... Like, I think it's bad. You are ruining my happy. I'm sorry. I'm just saying that, like, I still really liked Tom Hardy's performance. <laughs> he has very good chemistry with himself. Uh, <laughs> he does. The, the, those are the best parts of the movie, is when it's just Eddie and Venom having a breakup, and then having, oh god, there's a scene where uh, Eddie has to apologize to Venom after their fight. And it is verbatim me having to apologize to Kelty after a fight. Like, it was uncanny. Yeah, and she just stared at me pretty much the entire movie long, because basically she was trying to imply that I'm a symbiote. Well. But that's okay, because I take it as a compliment, because I love Venom. Well. Yeah, that's fine. And that makes me happy. But uh, we're also watching um, Midnight Mass. <gasps> that's very nice very enjoying good. that it, there is a like someone who wasn't me noticed how much of the bible and specifically the resurrection of christ in the eucharist sounds like a vampire origin story <laughs> and they wrote a horror miniseries about it and i'm enjoying it there's a lot of priests investments and erotic blood drinking and what more <laughs> what more can a girl ask for? I mean, not much. So this wasn't originally going to be my happy, uh, but the, they announced that John Kent, son of Superman, who is the new Superman, is bisexual now, and all the uh, right-wingers are super mad and now hate Superman, who they saw as the perfect American, even though he wasn't illegal alien literally um yeah. and mm-hmm. that that brings me joy 
that brings me such joy that it is now my happy yeah. this week. Mm. <laughs> I was going to recommend a really yeah. good book, but that will have to wait until next week. <laughs> Agreed. Just so I don't give a single fucking solitary fuck about Superman or the comics or the movies or what have you. Yeah. But honestly, making him buy still didn't make him interesting enough for me. Superman is officially queer and deal with it, men. Good for you, John Kent. Welcome to the LGBTQ party, the alphabet mafia, as the children are saying on the TikToks. Um, oh, do they? Yeah, they call it the Alphabet Mafia oh, now. I thought the Alphabet Mafia was what the right called us. So we're reclaiming it, yeah. I guess. We've reclaimed it. I mean, it. I'll reclaim that. Um, <laughs> Gen Z is, I guess. Good for them. They're having I fun mean, with things it. Are, things are reclaimed as fast as they are slurs now, so <laughs> it's who knows? So, what do you think I'm trash means? That's uh, a fair point. Yeah, man. Good for you, John Kent. Welcome to the party. And yeah, I guess that'll do it. Big thank you again to Twitter user uh, Justice Cadet, who brought me the Digimon drama. If you ever have anything you'd like to hear covered on the show, hit us up online. I am always open to suggestions, even more so if you are helpful and bring me receipts. Mm-hmm. If you'd like to find us online, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Blissfully Show. If you're watching us on YouTube, hi, hello, give us a like, a comment, a subscribe. Subscriptions would be great. YouTube is actually starting to notice us. Any engagement with our channel would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, so keep it up. Suckers. I actually don't like that, but <laughs> I know in the long run it's good. <laughs> Well, then, you know, do it to spite Kendra. <laughs> yeah, please do. I, I will accept spite. <laughs> and then, yeah, until next time. Bye. All right. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. Jesus, how do I get a gig like that? Just right. writing all my grievances into a into a monster fighting anime. Like, check please. <laughs> <laughs>